This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Oh, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year to you all. It's lovely to see you all here today. And uh, I hope you all had a really great Christmas and it was a really um, quality time with your family and all those that you love. And uh, it's just lovely to see you all. And, you know, we're going to have a great time this morning. We've had a great time already. They've gone already. Thank you, musicians. It was it was awesome this morning. Thank you so much. I mean, you know, it's just so beautiful. Thanks. Thanks, Bart. Thanks. The other two. Thank you so much. It's just wonderful. Okay, so as Mark's already said, we're back on the plan, back on the preaching plan, which is Luke. And we're in Luke 8. And as you might have guessed from um, the the selection of songs this morning, we're going to be talking about storms. So, um, you know, get your um, sou'wester on or whatever it is and uh, get ready because that's what we're going to be looking at. So we're going to start off Luke 8. If you want to look it up in your Bibles, it's verses 22 to 25. And it's starting here. Oh, it's also in Matthew um, 8 and Mark 4, and I'll be referring to those as well. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, and they said to one another, who then is this, that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Let's have a quick word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. It literally is the anchor to our souls as we go through the storms of life sometimes. And so, Father, we pray today that as we look at your word, you would open up this to each one of us individually to speak to us, Father God, that your Holy Ghost, the teacher, is sent to lead us into all truth and that he would lead each one of us into fresh revelation about you and about your love for us and about how we can be victorious in everything that we face. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, so as I said, this is already, this is also in Matthew and Mark's account. And if you read those two accounts, you'll find that this actually is a really long day preaching. Now, you know, some of you have worked in perhaps in the um, hospitals and the medical profession, and you can do like huge shifts. And I think Jesus was doing one of those huge shifts. Um, uh, he was talking and preaching for a long, long time. It doesn't really come out in Luke, but there's so many more parables and things that are um, suggested in this day in the other accounts. And actually, Mark's account says that it was evening time. Now, evening for the Jews had like two sections, and the first section started at about four o'clock. They started to call that evening, what we would sort of call like tea time, really. And I think it was probably about that time. The light was beginning to fade, and Jesus sent everyone away and he said to disciples 
let's get into the boat and go to the other side of the lake. Now, I was looking at the sort of boat they might have got into, and I happed upon something on the internet, the wonderful internet, um, that um, showed me um, a picture of a boat that they'd excavated in, I think it was something like 1986, and it's a boat from the first century. So actually, it's the sort of fishing boat that Jesus would have used, and his disciples, and there should be a picture of it up on the board there, yeah. So this boat is 27 foot long in old money, or 8.3 metres for those of you that are of a younger generation and it's 7.5 feet wide seven and a half feet wide 2.3 meters but it's only got a draft of 4.3 feet 1.3 meters now I, I suppose that's sort of about here not, not, not very much draft, okay? And in that boat are 12 disciples and Jesus. And Mark's account tells us that Jesus um, fell asleep um, on a pillow at the back. So I think he was probably on that sort of shelfy bit that we can see at the back of the boat. That's where Jesus would have been um, curled up asleep. And as I've said already, he, he's, he gives the word. He says, let's get into the boat and let's go across to the other side of the lake. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had words that God has given to me in my life, and this was a word that the disciples had given to him, and given to them. And so they obediently, they get into the boat and set off, and that's what we do sometimes, don't we? We, we start out with, um, you know, all good intentions to fulfill this word that God's given us or see this promise come to pass in our lives. And whilst this account describes, um, Jesus then you know, went and fell asleep. And I think we need to sort of pause at this point before we go talking about storms and just remember that if Jesus fell asleep after a long day of preaching, it really shows he was tired. In fact, he was so tired, he was going to sleep through this tremendous storm where everybody was getting wet and water was coming into the boat and yet Jesus was still asleep. And I think it really tells us about Jesus's humanity. We've just been um, celebrating, haven't we, Christmas, where Jesus imagined Emmanuel, God with us. You know, he, he really came down. God, God the Father really came down in the form of his son and inhabited a frail human body with all the limitations that we experience ourselves. And he was physically tired. It, Hebrews says he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So, you know, Jesus knew what it was to be tired. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to have his stomach rumbling. You know, he, he, was, he was fully human as well as, as almighty God. Okay, so going back to the text. The disciples set off and a storm arises. Has anybody experienced that in their life where they've set off and um, tried to do something with, with God or they've tried to see a word come to pass in their life. They've been confessing and believing for a promise and it's just like everything goes wrong. Um, I'm sure you don't relate to that, but I certainly do. Anyway, the interesting thing is that God reminded me, we've just done the parable of the sower in Luke 8, earlier in Luke 8, and if you look at the parallel passages, it's really useful to read the parallel passages because you get different like nuances of the text. And in Mark 13, it actually says that these storms can be expected when the word of God goes out. So this is um, talking about soil number two. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. 
But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, next word, because of the word, they quickly fall away. You know, um, that really struck me, that word because. In the King James Version, it says on account of. You know, it's the, there's a causality here. Because you've had a word, there actually comes a storm, a physical resistance. And it comes in two forms, trouble and persecution. Now, persecution's a bit more straightforward. We all know what persecution is. Um, and Paul had plenty of it. In 2 Corinthians 11, he describes multiple beatings, stonings, shipwrecks, and all sorts of other horrible things that happened to him because he was determined to complete his mission. He was determined to preach the word and go to the Gentile nations with the message of Jesus. But the word trouble is a little bit more subtle. Um, taking a thing from Mark, having a peek at the Greek, we look at this word and it's the word um, thispis. It's a root meaning which means to crowd, to pressure you, to narrow you. It's the opposite of being in a beautiful open wide space. You know when you go up onto a high mountain or something and you're on a plateau and you just can see for miles. You can go anywhere you like. It's the opposite, okay? It means you're crowded, you're constrained, you're pressurized, you're forced into a direction that you don't want to go in. Have you ever been in catacombs? Perhaps not. I've been in catacombs once with Dave, and we didn't know we were claustrophobic until we were in the catacombs. And uh, it's the most odd feeling. You think you're just going to go down and walk through these tunnels, and then they get shallower and shallower and shallower, and you're almost crawling, and... All sorts of things went on in my body that I wasn't aware of before. So constrained places can be frightening. They can be challenging because we don't have our normal freedoms. Okay, so are you in this position today? Have you been told to plant a church? Have you been told to write a book? Or have you, just like me, been told to just get on with it with certain words and promises that God has given me? And are you finding that you've got opposition, resistance to that coming to pass? The disciples certainly did. They were suddenly rowing against a storm. They had to take the sails down. It was all hands on deck. They were bailing out. They were doing all sorts of things. And Jesus says to us, this is not unexpected. It's not something that we should be surprised about. He said in Matthew 11, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. You know, there is a battle going on in the unseen realm, the spiritual realm, which we, we don't really think about very much sometimes, do we? But this isn't all there is. This nuts and bolts, flesh and blood, chairs and tables that we've got here today, our skin, our fleshly body, they're not going to pass into the spiritual realm. This is all going to get burnt up, guys. It's all just going to go. This isn't eternal. And Jesus is saying to us that, you know, there is a spiritual force operating. And we read this too in Ephesians 6, don't we? Where we're told we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and evil spirits in, you know, in high places. We're in a battle, folks. And sometimes it's expressed in this feeling that you're walking through treacle to try and see a word of God fulfilled. Do you relate to this at all? Yeah, I thought some of you might. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to look at what the disciples did and perhaps learn a few lessons, okay? So what the disciples did 
So they looked at the storm. They got totally absorbed with the storm. How high the waves were, they Googled it on Wikipedia. If I've got a wave that's six foot high and I'm in a boat this high, what's my probability of survival? <laughs> that's not the way to go about it, okay? Their reaction was the problem. Their reaction to the problem, sorry, was the problem. They had no appreciation of who they had in their boat with them. They had Jesus in their boat. Okay, he was asleep because he was tired, but they had the creator of the waves, of the sea, of the wind, in the boat with them. And all they could think about was, I'm going to die. Yeah, okay. They should have focused on Jesus, but instead they set their mind on the flesh. And this scripture that I've got up here is really, really important for all of us. It's a really important thing to live by every day, but particularly when you're in a storm. To set your mind on the flesh just literally means to just think about the, the everyday things, the experience, the information that's coming to you in your sense realm, what your eyes, your ears, and you know, your touch or whatever, your taste is telling you. That is the sense realm. That is the flesh realm. And if you only focus on that, then you're under the law of the spirit of death. That You know, the, 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 the law on this planet. We're in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus now. But there is the old law, the law of sin and death. Adam sinned, the consequence was death. And that law is sort of like going through a stick of rock. It's like embedded in this world. Everything tends toward chaos, tends towards death. Any of you technical physicists out there, the law of entropy proves that. Everything goes from order to disorder. Think of a child's bedroom. <laughs> you, know, you know, we're not on a planet that is constructing and getting better and better. We're in a deconstructing universe. God tells us this. And if we only fill our minds with that concept, the information that's coming to us from this fallen planet, then the outcome is death in all its forms. I don't mean perhaps necessarily physical death, but, you know, decay and destruction and all the other things. Or just sort of a negative mindset and feeling miserable all the time. But we have an alternative. If we set our minds on the spiritual realm, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus starts to take place, starts to work in us, work in our circumstances. If we fix our mind on him, then we can completely turn the tables. So the disciples' reaction was full of experience. They, they were just basing everything they were feeling on what they were seeing. Matthew's account says, Lord, save us, we're perishing. Mark's account says, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And that's another thing that can happen, can't it, when we're in a storm. We think that God doesn't care. We think he's asleep. We think he's just not even aware of what's going on. But you know, when that happens, you need to remember that God loves you. You really need to drill into the scriptures. Start to pick out the ones that speak of God's love. Here's one here that you can look at later. 1 John 4.10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins taking the wrath of God away from us. That's what that word means. So, you know, this isn't based on our love for him. He loved us even when we were in, you know, in trespasses and sins, it says somewhere else. You know, he, he absolutely loves and adores us and sent Jesus to die for us. So if you're in a dilemma, just focus in on Jesus on the cross, 
dying for you, hanging there, suffering for you. And, you know, you will find that that love and that sense of purpose in your life returns. I want to contrast the disciples' reaction where they're just looking at all of the um, physical evidence with that of Abraham. Do you remember Abraham? He had an encounter with God and God said to him, your descendants, this is when he's 100, are going to be as numerous as the stars of the heaven or the sand on the seashore. In other words, so many that you can't count. And Abraham was 100 and his wife was 90. And it says in the Bible that it ceased to be with them as it, you know, as it was when you can pro- pro- procreate. So without going into any further detail, I think you can guess what I'm alluding to. And it says here that Abraham, in, sorry, Romans 14, 19 and 20, it said, Abraham considered not his own body now dead. Isn't that powerful? Neither the deadness of Sarah's womb He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So this is an astounding promise, isn't it? You know, here's Abraham, he's past childbearing, so is Sarah, his wife, and yet it says that he doesn't consider his body. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't consider, we shouldn't, um, we should deny things that they're not real that are going on. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what do we consider? What do we set our minds on? What do we think about all the time? Are we thinking about, this is, this is the bad thing. This is the thing that's coming against me. Or are we thinking about, no, the promises of God says this. This is where I am in Christ. I'm going to see the victory in this. The difference is huge, as we can see from the previous scripture. And Abraham got the answer. So, rounding up now to that last section. So Jesus rebukes the storm. They wake him up and it says, he awoke, rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. I love this scripture, this bit of the scripture, because, you know, he's asleep. And you know what it's like when you're dragged out of deep sleep? You're sort of slightly sort of like disorientated. All you parents know exactly what that feels like. (laughs) You know, when your child comes into the room and you're really, really deeply at sleep and they've been sick or something and you have to just deal with it instantly. And Jesus just, he doesn't get onto the disciples' case. He immediately he rebukes the wind and the raging waves. He sorts the problem immediately. That is our God. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants to deal with stuff quickly. And we can learn several lessons here, and I've got a few points to make, so please bear with me. Number one, Jesus has all authority. You know, folks, this is our God. This is Emmanuel, God with us. His is the name above every name. So no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is bigger, stronger, better, more powerful. It says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. So let's raise our faith level, especially as we're going into this wonderful new season with hope. And just expect more. As Marcus said to us, God is doing a new thing. We don't even have to think about what happened in the past. If you've had failures in the past, don't dwell on them. We're all learning. We're all having failures, okay? We don't get up and talk about them, but we all are. And we're just pressing on in and keeping our eyes on him because he has all authority. Next bit. 
I'm going to talk about storms. And storms can come from, I've, I've thought about three different areas, you might have some more, um, but I've t- thought about three, and I think we mustn't give the devil too much credit. I don't think he's, he's the author of all storms. I think storms can come just because we're in a fallen world. You know, as we, David and I were once in a church where the pastor's wife, um, she had a, one of those um, CO2 machines, you know, where you, you carbonise drinks, sorry. I hadn't, hadn't planned to say this, so I hadn't planned to work out how to say it, sorry. So she had a carbonating machine, you know, and the, she had to change the, the, um, the cylinder, and it rolled off the table, it broke her toe, you know, and her husband said, what have you done wrong today? Now, I don't believe that, I don't believe that at all. I think, you know, we live in a fallen world, and occasionally strange things happen like that. Um, and I think, you know, when we look at the Sea of Galilee, the boat was on the sea, and it's, it's, you know, it's renowned for sudden storms and winds coming up. And, you know, sometimes in our lives, things can happen because we live in a fallen world. It's not the devil's done it to me. It's just we live in a fallen world. So bear that one in mind. And then the other thing storms can come is because we've been an idiot. You know, we can make stupid decisions. We can make stupid choices. And, um, you know, they, they can cause problems in our lives. Yeah, so storms can come for various reasons. But the thing that we see here is that it didn't come from God. That's the important thing. Jesus rebuked the storm. Now, if God had caused the storm, he would have been rebuking the very thing that God had ordained. So we have to keep this at the back of our minds because a lot of Christians will tell you that storms come because God sent them. But I just want to look at James chapter 1 for a moment. The start of James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. The trying of your faith produces patience. I'm going to be talking about that in a minute. And then you read on down, and then verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But each person is tempted when he is lured away by his own desires. So when these things happen in our lives and we come under temptation and trials, they are coming not from God, okay? They can come from these other sources which I've mentioned. It can be the devil, okay? He can try and get on our case and try and discourage us and do all uh, sorts of other things. And I'm going to talk about how we deal with that in a minute. But it can be our own stupidity or it can just be because life sometimes has stuff like that. Okay, so now I'm going on to the second point in this section. Jesus's big question, where is your faith? In the other accounts, it says, why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And Mark says, how is it you have no faith? I think Jesus must have been gutted. He must have been really disappointed because I know this is early on in his ministry, but they've already seen the bloke at the, at the funeral in Nain raised from the dead. You remember him, don't you? The, the widow with her son in the coffin. Jesus comes around and raises his... From the, the disciples had seen that. They'd seen the guy lowered down in the roof, the paralytic, get up and walk. They'd seen multitudes healed of every possible disease, earlier recorded in Luke. So they'd seen a lot, but they didn't believe. They didn't realise who they had in, the, in their boat with them. Now, I just want to talk about 
just quickly before we finish that section, um, about the fact that faith is so central to, to, the, to, to the Christian religion, to our Christian faith. It says that without faith, it's impossible to please God in Hebrews 11.6. So if you think about that, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So every day, we need to be walking in faith. We need to be trusting him. That's all faith means, just to trust him. So when we see things going topsy-turvy and awry, what choice are we going to make? Are we going to just question God's love for us? Are we going to think something's going radically wrong with everything? Or are we just going to stay centred and trust him and know that he's given us the tools to get through this? There can be a delay to answered prayer. That's the thing I wanted to talk about a little bit. And in Hebrews, again, great book, isn't it? It says, faith and patience is needed to inherit the promises in Hebrews 6.12. You know, we sometimes have to pray and keep on praying in order to see something coming to pass. And it's in that time when we're waiting and we're maintaining our, our prayer, maintaining our trust, maintaining our faith that the storm is raging and we need to stay centered in Jesus. He is the, the person that we need to keep looking at, not looking at all the evidence, not looking at all the things that are coming up and trying to get us off our faith, but stay centered on him. Daniel had to wait 21 days for an answer to prayer, even though God gave the answer immediately. If you read it carefully in the book of Daniel, he, the, the answer was given immediately, but it took 21 days to get through because of the spiritual realm and the princes of darkness trying to um, thwart the word getting back to Daniel. So don't lose faith, people of God. If you're waiting on God for a promise, if you've perhaps waited years for a child that you're waiting to come to know him or something, and it's been a long, long haul, don't give up because your answer is coming. It might be taking a while, but God is faithful. The third thing I want to say about this passage is the disciples were amazed. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? They just didn't know who they had in their boat. They didn't know who Jesus was. And this is a bit of a, a warning to us too, not to wait for a storm before you open your Bible, okay? We need to get into the word of God and find out who Jesus is and find out what he's done for us and now who we are in order to weather storms and see victory in storms. We have an incredible advantage over those disciples because Jesus is not just in our boat, he's in us. He, his spirit is physically inside each one of us if we're born again Christians. It says in um, Romans 8, 9, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, Christ does not belong to him. So in other words, it's part and parcel of being a Christian. The spirit of Christ or the Holy Ghost lives in us. So we don't just have to look sideways for Jesus in our boat. He's actually in us and we can commune with him any time of the day. And then we find in Ephesians 2 that Jesus who is the name above every name, is now seated in heavenly places. He's seated at the right hand of God. And then if you read it carefully in Ephesians 2, it says, 
we're also seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God. Spiritually, we've been elevated up to that seated position next to Jesus. Now, these are the sort of truths that we need to have meditated on when a storm comes, because otherwise we're going to get tossed to and fro. But when you know that actually, spiritually, you're already in heaven, that you have that authority, that you have the name of Jesus, you can ride out the storm. In fact, you can take authority over it. You can be the Jesus in the boat that says, storm, be still. But you're not going to be able to do that if you haven't spent time in his word and you haven't renewed your mind. So it's a lesson to all of us to make the word of God, to make time with Jesus our priority in our lives, above everything, above sport, above television. You know, if you, if you tally up your week, what do you spend more time doing? T- television or Bible? You know, that's a really good question. We need to all have answered and, and recognised. It needs to bear a priority for us. Okay, just check I haven't missed anything out. No, I don't think so. Okay, to sum up... <laughs> um, to sum up, the first point that I made was that sometimes when you're you know, finding difficulty happening, you're finding something, you feel like you're walking through treacle because everything's coming at you to try and stop you doing something for God, it, it can be because you are trying to press into God and you're trying to push his kingdom forward that the word, um, you know, it says, didn't it, because of the word, these things came, these, these um, persecutions and afflictions came because of the word. Satan is trying to discredit the word of God. He's always wanting to show that God's word isn't true. And he will come against us and try and resist us. And if you're in a storm today, remember to put your focus on Jesus in you and not the storm itself. Don't look at the, um, the natural world as the ultimate answer. We don't deny it exists. These storms are very real, but they're not the ultimate answer. The ultimate reality is the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm trumps the physical realm every time. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, in you, has set you free from the old law, the law of sin and death. And we need to really believe that and move out on it in power If you're in a problem that is of your own making, take heart. We've all been there and we'll probably be there again. Um, But you can give it to God and ask him to redeem it. He can turn lemons into lemonade, okay? God is just, he loves us so much that, you know, he's, he's not holding stuff against you, okay? Just come to him, receive his love and just, he'll just sort it for you. And the last thing I want to say to you is, Remember that Jesus is with you. He's in you. So pray with confidence. Take authority when you need to. Use wisdom, of course. It's quite interesting at the end of Acts, there's a situation where Paul is in a storm and he doesn't take authority over it. But he's obviously talking to God and God tells him he's going to save all the people in the boat, but they will be shipwrecked. So what I'm saying is there's not not like a quick answer. There's not a quick fix to problems. We have to seek God and find his wisdom on each problem. But when you need to take authority, take that authority. When you need to pray against that mountain, pray in the name of Jesus and your mountain will move.